It didn't take a lot of discernment to figure out what the title of my message is this morning. It's transition. <laughs> so, yeah, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, and we're going to start in chapter 11. Now, uh, it, it's important for us to just understand the context for just a moment uh, as we get into the scriptures here. Um, but I want you to remember that what we're reading is in the early days of the early church. And the church was birthed uh, on the day of Pentecost. Well, of course, the church was birthed on the day that Jesus rose again from the dead, actually. Um, but the, uh, uh, the 120 of the 500 that were the witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus were in that upper room or in a room in the place. The Bible doesn't actually say exactly where they were, but they were in a room when suddenly there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind and flames of fire appeared on their heads and they were gloriously baptized in the Holy Spirit and Peter got up. They were all instantly drunk in the Holy Spirit. Peter got up, preached an amazing message and there was 3,000 people saved that day. The church just exploded. And, uh, and then within a few weeks, uh, that God just began to do the most amazing, mighty miracles. Uh, Peter and John on the way in, simply on the way to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon. It wasn't even in an evening meeting. There was no keyboardist playing. It just was a glorious, mighty miracle as Peter and John said to the lame man that was at Gate Beautiful, who, by the way, had survived three years of Jesus' ministry and was still not healed because Jesus only did what he saw his father doing and the father must have said to Jesus, no, that one's for Peter. And which is why we need to constantly walk by the Spirit, everybody. And so, you know, he reaches down and he says to the man, I don't have any silver and gold. Uh, I don't have a five bucks or ten bucks in my pocket for you. But what I do have, I give you. In the mighty name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took that 40-year-old's hand who'd been lame from birth and he just lifted him up before the miracle had happened. He lifted him up onto his feet, grabbed him. He must have been strong after all he was a fisherman that could bring in 256 large fish on his own in one net and he just lifted that man with his massive biceps lifted him up off the ground and kaboom the holy spirit instantaneously healed him in his lame feet and he took off running leaping and praising god running into the temple courts and the whole place just erupted. And the Bible tells us at that time, the church was about 5,000 people within just a few weeks. And the Lord was adding daily to their number. In fact, there was so much anointing on Peter that in Acts chapter 5, it says that, Eve, that people would lay their, their lame and their sick People with, no doubt, stage four cancers and all the things that we know of today, Parkinson's disease, uh, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, you name it. It was all there. How do we know it was all there? Because it says that Jesus healed all diseases and all sicknesses. And when the Bible says all, that means all. And they laid them down in Peter in the pathway so that even Peter's shadow might touch them. 
and the Bible says that they were all healed. That means that the Holy Spirit was so powerfully on Peter that even his shadow was forced to carry the presence of Jesus. And in the midst of this revival, where people were coming from all over the world because of the glory of God in Jerusalem, because word had just exploded that, that there was a, an extraordinary move of God, the likes of which earth has never experienced. The Holy Spirit did something recorded in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. He allowed persecution to come on the church. I don't think anybody expected persecution in the midst of that glorious revival. But you see, Jesus had said to the apostles, he said, wait in Jerusalem, recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 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 Jerusalem. No, he doesn't say that. He says in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And I'm, aren't you just so glad sitting here in North Carolina that Jesus didn't just say Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem? Aren't you just so glad that Jesus didn't say stay right where you are and don't ever leave? Because you would not be saved today if it wasn't for the fact that the church was scattered on that day and it went to the Gentiles. Now, some of you may be privileged to be Jews. I'm not. I'm very grateful that Jesus allowed the church to be persecuted and a great scattering to start. Let's pick up in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 19, now that you know the context. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Antioch is in modern-day Turkey. That's a long way by donkey. Now, they didn't, they didn't have a, you know, a Dodge Challenger Hellcat to get in and drive all the way down that freeway. They didn't have some souped-up Genesis coupe to go flying up there. They went up there on some supercharged donkey. And they spoke the word to no one except the Jews. Why? Because that was the paradigm of the church. Sometimes God allows persecution to come into our lives to break us out of the rigidness of our paradigms. Because we have a tendency to put God in a box. And like an eight-year-old said in one of our very earliest worship services that went on from 6 p.m. all the way to 12 a.m., and uh, I remember in the old building, in our previous building, this, this young eight-year-old. I think he might have even been six. I can't remember how old he was. He just was young. And at 11.45 a. Um, p.m., quarter to midnight, he got up on the platform. He took the microphone and he says, you know, there's a lot of you in here that have put God in a box. But there's no box that's big enough for God. And he just wants y'all to know he's breaking our boxes. Whew. 
But there were some of the men of Cyprus, Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, that's Turkey, spoke to the Hellenists. My Bible's got a little number there, and in the, in this, in the, um, in the margin it says, or Greeks, brackets, that is Greek-speaking non-Jews, a.k.a. Gentiles. Also preaching the Lord Jesus to them. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed turned to the, who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas was actually called Joseph. But he was so full of the Holy Spirit. He was so bubbly in his personality. He was such a lover of people that the apostles gave him an affectionate nickname. Son of encouragement. Everyone in Jerusalem in the midst of persecution wanted to sit down and have coffee with the son of encouragement. And here's the apostles sending the son of encouragement out of persecution and uh, out of the midst of where he's got a fantastic ministry with people. Not only that, but it says of Joseph, Barnabas, it says that he was one of those who actually sold land. You don't get to own land unless you're wealthy. And so here's Barnabas, one of the wealthiest people that's first saved, and he sells his land and brings the money as one of the many of them and brings it and lays it at the apostles' feet. Do you know how that makes apostles feel? Feel really good. And they're the last person that they want to send away on some mission. Here's this very wealthy man who's just been serving so beautifully in Jerusalem that he's called the son of encouragement. Not only that, but he's wealthy and the temptation is to hold on to other people's money. Never hold on to anybody else's money. You don't need to access other people's money when you know that you have access to the true riches of heaven. Barnabas was one of those men. Peter, John, all of the apostles, they were those men and and the women that were with them. They were those apostolic leaders who knew and understood. We can let go of Barnabas and send him up to Antioch. Even if he is really wealthy, let him go be wealthy up there for them in Antioch. Because their eyes were on Jesus and they were in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They weren't thinking with an earthly mentality. They were thinking with heaven's priority. And when he came, when Barnabas came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now listen to this. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. It is our joy to be sending Murray and Ash up to Toronto, just like the apostles sent Barnabas to Antioch. We have the privilege, church family, okay, of, of getting behind Murray and Ash, sad as we might feel, grieving, yes, we might go through, But make no mistake, with joy in our hearts, because we're right behind you, Murray and Ash, and we're excited for what God's opening up for you and the girls and Paul and and, 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 um, and Hannah, their eldest, and Izzy and Lucy and Sarah. God's got an amazing plan for the Smith family. We're really thrilled, and the Warren family. We're really thrilled that God's sending them up there. And why why has he chosen Murray and Ash? Because they're amazing, my wife just said. 
Because they're amazing. Because they're full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And we've all had the privilege of them being with us. But let's not forget, they weren't born and raised in North Kakalaki. They came to us as a gift. They're going to Toronto as a gift. Let it be our joy to get right behind them as part of the, the wind in the sails. Amen? So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And that's a very long way as well. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples were determined, everyone according to his ability, his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea and sisters. My, my note says brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now why do we have this little nugget right here in the midst of this story? Because the Holy Spirit wants us to know and understand how fantastic Barnabas and Saul's leadership was. Because the Holy Spirit of showing off that Barnabas and Saul was so amazing at preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that the people of the Antioch church knew and understood that their lives were no longer their own because they gave them to Jesus and they, they, their lives belonged to Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. And that the gospel is a gospel of first you die and then you're resurrected with Christ. Your life is no longer your own. Your life is now, you have died, Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, Paul says. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. The whole gospel is a gospel of give, 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 not take, take, take. And they preached it so well, they instilled it so well into these people in Antioch, this, this new church of Gentiles. That when a prophet comes and prophesies there's going to be a global famine, which includes those in Antioch, their first thought is, oh my gosh, we better stock up, we better hoard up, we better get everything that we need, we better fill our basements with every conceivable tin goods, dry goods, you name it. Because there's a famine coming. No, their first thought was, we got to help our brothers and sisters down there in Jerusalem. What do you mean help our brothers and sisters down there in Jerusalem? We're going to be impacted by this famine. Surely we need to make sure we take care of business back home. No, but they understood the gospel. They knew that in Jesus' resurrection life, the whole church would be very well taken care of. They could trust God with their lives. Now, I want you to, excuse me, sir, can you just, not quite so loud, please, because everyone else is being really quiet. That's all right, no problem. You're an amazing son of your heavenly daddy. All right. So, Acts chapter 12, verse 24. Oh, let me just say, Acts chapter 12, interestingly, there's this interlude where, tragically, Herod, this wicked king, murders James by cutting his head off. 
That's John's brother. And then ends up doing this big, big oratory speech. And all of these people are just so enamored with how wonderful this king is. And that they're saying, wow, he must be a demigod. And instead of him giving glory to God, he just is so puffed up in his pride. Look what happens. The people were shouting, verse 22 of chapter 12, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod down because he did not give glory, give God the glory. Because he did not give God the glory, he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. This is not the Old Testament, everybody. This is the New Testament. So that's why we're to pray for our leaders, because if they don't give glory to God, they could be eaten by worms and die. And I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody to do that. So... He was eaten by worms and breathed his last, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. What was their service? Their service, they entrusted them all with all their accumulated treasure, and they were able to take that treasure, no doubt on donkeys again, all the way down to Jerusalem and give it to the apostles. There's a bit of a theme in Barnabas's life, isn't there? But now I want to get into the nitty-gritty of my message. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. The very next verse. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Folks, this is a multi-ethnic leadership team. A multi-ethnic leadership team. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Let me just read that again because I, I kind of read that as we often do read the scriptures, a little too kind of like dismissive. Let me just read that little bit again. While they were worshiping, while they were worshiping the Lord, and some translations, maybe yours says, while they were ministering to the Lord, with fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke and he said, Set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Yes. And so here we have this amazing uh, window into the Holy Spirit's blueprints for God's mission on the earth right here. And I want to take you back to 2005. 16 years ago, 
I'd been in Toronto for five years. I'd been the executive director for five years. I had a staff of about 160 at the time, um, had 10 directors, multi-million dollar budget. The Holy Spirit was moving. At that time, we were, we were in the 11th year of continuous nightly meetings, averaging anywhere between 500 to 1,000 people every night, people coming from all over the world to our church. Our church was a Jerusalem, everybody. In terms of this current revival, the church was handpicked by God when it was not a big church, about 300 people. And it wasn't even a Sunday night. It was a Thursday night at a meeting where John had invited Randy Clark, who he had heard, another vineyard pastor, had heard had had a touch of God from Rodney Howard Brown and was carrying an anointing as a result of impartation. And so John, quick as a flash, just so hungry for a revival. They'd been in Argentina recently. They too had had a, an amazing impartation from Claudio Friedson and had come back to Toronto expectant and hungry for God to move. And on January the 20th, 1994, kaboom! God just filled the church. And the whole place, it, would, it just, and a revival that has gone all around the world erupted. It was so powerful that before, when, before Toronto, I say it like this, and this is just my perspective, but before Toronto, in many churches all over the world, we were part of the church. We went to our meetings, whether it was a Sunday morning, a midweek group, or a Bible study, or whatever it was, and we had a great time. But we never expected God to show up. But after Toronto, after that moment, and not just Toronto, I mean, it's just been all over the world in the last 27 years. When we meet all over the world, we expect God to show up. And, and, and at best, we're excited about that. At worst, we're in sheer panic as pastors not knowing what we're going to do. At best, we're the ones getting rocked and shaking and trembling, each of us, as God impacts us in some dramatic way and we encounter God's transforming presence. At worst, we're looking and going, that's weird, I'm out of here. But there's no denying that God's doing something. And there's fire all over the world. Fire all over the world. And so here I am. I'm, I'm sitting in my office, which was next to John's, and, and uh, actually the office that's going to be Murray and Ash's office. A very, very nice office, I might add. And uh, the building, that they, they, the actual uh, uh, auditorium building that Murray and Ash are going to be leading in, 75,000 square foot, everybody. That's twice the size of this building. So just, just, just let it sink in a little. But I was in the other building, which is the third, same size as this, but it's entirely offices and the school of ministry with another auditorium that seats about 500. And we're talking a big deal. And anyway, so I'm sitting in this office, um, minding my own business, doing whatever, and all of a sudden, one of the apostolic leaders of our movement, Fred Wright, he, he knocks on my door and says, Duncan, can you come with me? I, I, I need to speak with you and John. So he invites me into John's office, uh, John invites us both into the office and he sits us down and he says, I've been writing a book called The World's Greatest Revivals. By the way, The World's Greatest Revivals by Fred Wright. It's a great book. And, uh, and he said, my study has shown me that revivals have 
distinct phases, especially two distinct phases. Phase one is the gathering phase, and phase two is the scattering phase. And nobody expects the scattering phase. And the Holy Spirit himself is the one who seems to flick the switch. And it's happened in almost every single revival throughout history. Because he's looking for what he did in a certain place among a certain people. He's looking not for the world to come to them only. Yes, that's good. But he's looking for them to go to the world. And that's exactly what happened in Jerusalem. And Antioch was birthed because of persecution in Jerusalem. And so in that moment, I'm watching his mouth going like this, and all of a sudden, I'm literally transported. I'm out in the spirit. I'm before the Lord, and he begins to download the blueprints of what we're now in as Catch the Fire world. At that time, um, our church, our movement, was a single church and a network of churches and uh, held together by relationship and a shared experience in the spirit, But we were not a movement going to the world. And our church was called Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. John was eight years old when his parents moved to Toronto. John was one of the kids that was rolling around out of just totally filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm so proud of you for not just staying in Jerusalem, John. But anyway... In that moment, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says, a year ago, you were in Raleigh preaching and I told you that you were going to come and plant your first church there. And I want you to know that this is a Jerusalem church, but I'm sending you to Raleigh to plant an Antioch church. A Jerusalem church has a mentality that everyone will come to us. An Antioch church has a mentality that we're going to the world. And I want you not just to go down and plant a church in Raleigh. I want you to steward with John and Carol and Kate and all of the leaders in Catchville. I want you to steward a great move of church planting and church growth called Catch the Fire World. He just downloaded all the blueprints right there in John's office for everything that, thank you, John, for everything that we're currently involved in. And we haven't planted 200 churches, but... We've planted many, many scores of churches around the world, and we're at about 200 at the moment in terms of our global movement. But, but that's the churches we know. We don't know how many churches we have in China because it's very secret, but churches are exploding in Asia. Churches are exploding in South America. Churches are exploding in Europe. This is catch the fire I'm talking about, okay, as well as the church at large. And so <clears throat> we came down to Raleigh, not just to plant one church, but through the move, but to start a movement, a move of the Spirit, and to plant a thousand churches in our lifetime. That's what the Holy Spirit gave us as a blueprint. And maybe some of you are part of that blueprint and will be involved in planting churches. The thing about an Antioch church is that people come and people go. People come and people stay. It's a different mentality. And I believe that the Lord is sending Murray and Ash up because they're Antiochian. They're they're amazing pastors, but they're apostles. And they lead the sphere, which is of, 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 of all the Americas churches from right the way from Canada down to Chile, Argentina. And Kate and I leave 
uh, tomorrow, actually, tomorrow night, to go to Brazil to go and be a part of our leadership retreat with all of our Brazilian and South American churches all of next week. Stephen Sandra coming down from Toronto. And all of those churches, they're all in Murray Nash's world in their influence and in their leadership. And so it's, it's so good that God's bringing them up to Toronto to bring an Antioch, bring this Jerusalem church into an Antioch mentality. Because I believe that God has a trajectory for the Catch the Fire Toronto church to turn it into an amazing, remarkable, globally impacting church again. But this time, not relying on everyone coming. This time, raising up and sending out leaders all over the world. That's what it happens with Antioch churches. I'm so thankful that it's not just a case at this season of transition that people are leaving our staff, like Murray and Ash, like John and Hendria, stepping into the business world. And by the way, John, I'm so proud of you and Hendria. What a courageous decision that you guys have made. <clears throat> John and Hendria came down from Toronto. They gave, they're not unacquainted with sacrifice and obedience. They heard the Lord speak to them in Toronto. They were to come to Raleigh, do our school of revival for two years, even though John was already a pastor up in Toronto and leading one of the satellite churches and young adult uh, movements. And yet John said yes to the Holy Spirit, gave that up up in Toronto, came down here and became a student. Think about that. He didn't need to, but he did because God told him to. And then after just after graduating successfully from the School of Revival, he then was invited onto the staff. He and Hendria became pastors, and they have been doing an outstanding job among us for a number of years now. How long ago? It was seven, eight years? This is your eighth year in Raleigh, so for the last at least six years, five to six years, they've been uh, pastors here on salary. And yet, the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and saying, I want you to give up your salary as a pastor, and I want you to pastor the marketplace. I mean, the reason that it's taken a few months for us to share this with you is not because uh, we didn't want to share any secrets with you. It's because John and Hendria and Murray and Ash have walked such a great road in terms of working it all out with their leaders. And they didn't just jump on a prophetic word suddenly and, and, and be like, oh, yep, that's it, I got to go because if I don't go, God's going to be angry with me, I got to go. Do you know how many Christians get shipwrecked, especially charismatic Christians get shipwrecked because they think that a prophetic word that's way down there, God speaking, it's way down there, and yet they're like, I got to go. Okay, yes, we know God's speaking to you. Let's just draw that out because you can't really focus on the what and the how and the who and the where when it's right up front like this. And actually, God's not a bad cop in the sky that's going to shoot you with, you know, that's going to hit you with a stick or something just because you're not doing what he's telling you to do. He's not like that. He's a good daddy who likes us to have his perspective. And he's, ne he's seldom ever in a hurry. And so I just thank God for the way these two couples have just given us the privilege of being, inviting us into the journey with them, of helping us to help them to discover what the Holy Spirit's been saying to them. And I have to admit, with John and Hendria, um, uh, they, they shared this, their journey with us, 
long before Murray and Ash were invited by Stephen Sander to go to Toronto. So it's been a longer journey with, with, of transition with Jonathan and Hendria. And the reason it's taken so long is that I've done my absolute best to persuade him not to do this. <laughs> I've known him since he was 13. Not because I don't want to release him. I'm so into releasing people, but I just wanted to double down, double check that this really is God. Because I didn't want him to walk out on an amazing calling to be a pastor. But he's reassured me, I'm not. I'm just pastoring outside of the church. So, congrats, John. You were right. Ah, Shekaraba. And I want to just take a moment to bring out some important things. And by the way, could, Jacob, I'd like you to stand up. God is not just sending others away. He's also bringing others that are amazing champions to us. Okay? And, and, and Jacob, uh, you can sit down, Jacob. Jacob has just graduated from the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry, where he's been in Redding, California. And uh, he and his fiance are... Uh, I think your fiance is from, from Holly Springs. And so uh, they felt to be coming back to North Carolina to get married and have their lives. And Jake, Jake they both came on a, um, uh, an outreach here and the Holy Spirit spoke to us all about these two. And, uh, and so uh, Jess and Aaron and the team extended an invitation to Jacob to consider coming uh, and being the, uh, um, an associate youth pastor uh, with a view probably if things turn out great. At that time, we were thinking like that, giving uh, him the job of being the youth pastor. But he's just been doing such an amazing job. Uh, I think it's going to be accelerated way quicker. Oops, did I just say that? Yes, I did. And so, um, yeah, Jacob's just been an amazing champion among us. And so, that's what happens in an Antioch church. People come, people go, but God's in charge. He knows what he's doing, everybody. He knows what he's doing. And, uh, and so I want to just mention four things that are keys that the Holy Spirit spoke to Kate and I as we meditated on this passage all these years ago that are four keys to being, fulfilling a true, what it means to be a true Antioch church. Number one, worship. Our primary priority in this church family of Catch the Fire Raleigh, and by the way, as presidents of Catch the Fire World, we have put this priority all over the world. Our number one priority as Catch the Fire Churches is not us, it's Jesus. Our number one priority is to minister to him and to worship him and to live lives that are pleasing to him and worthy of our calling in him. Our priority is that Jesus will receive the reward of his suffering, the nations, as his inheritance. We don't live for, oh, what can I get out of this church service? What can I get out of the preaching? What can I get out of the, the, the prayer ministry? What can I get out of the worship? What can I get out of um, serving in the kids' ministry? What can I get out of uh, the marketplace? What can I, what can I, what can I? None of that, what can I? It's all, what can Jesus receive? What can we bring to Jesus? And in our worship to Jesus, we're not just talking about when we hold our hands up and the amazing musicians are leading us. And by the way, that last song was written by these, many of these musicians up here, as well as others. And, uh, 
That song's not on it, but there's a new album that's just been released. You can put that album up there, please, guys. Um, but there's, been a, there's a new album that's just been released. Please download it. Go and listen to it. It is absolutely amazing. Kate and I listened to it uh, yesterday as we drove to Statesville, and we just were so blessed. We just listened to it uh, over and again. It's absolutely amazing. And so um, our number one priority is worship. It's all for Jesus. Number two... They heard the voice of the Lord set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And we as a community and all of our communities around the world, we want to live willing to hear the voice of the Lord and respond out of obedience to what he, the Holy Spirit, is asking us to do. And that might be very different for each of us. But we want to learn to lay our own agendas down, our agendas for one another, and live for heaven's agenda amongst us. Amen. And then number, th number three, they didn't just assume that they knew what that meant. It says they prayed with fasting again. So prayer and intercession is our third priority all over the world. Not assuming that we know what the Spirit m means when he speaks to us, but learning to discern through prayer to get the details of the who, the where, the why, the what, the when, the how, etc. And then number four, it says that they laid hands on them and sent them out, that we're a go people, whether that means that we go every Sunday afternoon or Monday morning in our workplace or whether we go to the neighbors or whether uh, we go to our city, we, we, we join in with embrace and we go and we serve the poor or whether it means that we invite people to Thanksgiving that we don't know or whatever it means, whatever our go looks like. Because love looks like something. And love always costs. Love always costs us. And an Antioch church is a church that walks in God's love and gives that love away. And so we are a missional church. We respond and we go. Let's all stand. Let's stand. You know, there's three men in this story that in some ways I think are the most heroic of the story. Barnabas and Saul, having, them having laid hands on them and sent them out, they went out. Saul became the apostle Paul. Barnabas became the apostle Barnabas. Paul's written, goodness knows how much of the New Testament. Three journeys resulted in the entire known world coming to know Jesus in his lifetime. All because three men didn't hold on to him. Three men that nothing is ever written about ever again on earth, but their stories in heaven. Three men who actually stayed in Antioch. Three men who didn't go. Three men, three men who didn't get all their noses put out of joint and get all, you know, affronted. Well, well, how come I wasn't set apart? Why didn't you have some work for me to do, Jesus, that's special? How come it's Saul, that guy who persecuted us, that guy who, who, who persecuted the church and is the only reason Antioch even exists? Why would you call him and not me? After all, I mean... I grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. But there was none of that competitive rivalry. They were all 
so immersed and deep in daddy's love. They understood they existed for Jesus. The whole purpose of the kingdom is the king. And they had one agenda, heaven's agenda. Even if that agenda was, you guys, you stay. Don't you go anywhere. And they stayed. And when Paul, every time Paul and Barnabas came back from their travels, guess where they went? They went first back to the Antioch church and with great rejoicing told of all the amazing things that they'd done. Thank God those three men stayed because Antioch got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Can I invite all y'all, unless God's calling you to go, and may you go for the glory of God. But if you, like me, like Kate, like Jess and Aaron, who are going to continue being a, the senior associate pastors that they are, Aaron, leading all of our worship community, Aaron and Jess, leading Jake for now, leading our youth ministries, and leading our kids' ministries, leading the Susan, who's our kids' director. You know, whether, whether it's Devon and Danielle or, or um, our other pastors that are Rochelle and Shannon and others that are staying, if you're called to stay, stay for the glory of God and go with all your heart to your neighbor, to your work colleagues, and go bring the kingdom. Amen. Let's hold our hands out. Yes, thank you, Lord. Let's hold our hands up. I'm, I'm going to pray. And if it's a prayer that you resonate with, let it be your own. But I would encourage you as well as you hold your hands out to the Lord just to, to pray your own prayer. Aren't you so glad for Jesus Christ on the inside of you, the hope of glory, your holiness, your righteousness, your inner prophet who leads you in the way that you should walk, the Holy Spirit himself. And whether you're Murray and Ash going up to Toronto to be the senior leaders of the mothership of this movement, which I'm sure is filling them with all kinds of fear and trepidation. And, it, and by the way, if the will of God doesn't sound impossible for you, whatever you do, don't do it. That's not the will of God. If you can dream it up in your head, but if you've been invited by the Holy Spirit to do the next step and it seems impossible, just do what Murray and Ash and Jonathan and Henry are doing. Put one little step in front of the other. Just do what Jess and Aaron are doing, staying here, and Kate and I and all of us. Just put one little step, in, one foot in front of the other. Put your little hands into Jesus' big hand and say yes. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for this moment of transition. We thank you with all of our hearts for Murray and Ash, for Paul and Hannah, for Izzy, for Lucy, for Sarah. Thank you for the Smith family. Thank you for the way that they've walked among us in such godliness, such amazing character, such amazing gifting, such amazing anointing. Thank you for the friendship that they've given us all, fellowship. 
Thank you for the way they've pastored. Thank you for Murray and Ash's lives laid down, coming all the way from Sydney, Australia, to come and be among us for these last 12 and a half years. Father, we ask you in the mighty name of Jesus, bless the Smith family. Bless them, Lord God. Bless them in the coming months. Bless the girls that are staying. Bless the girls that are going. Bless whatever they do next, Lord. Bless Paul and Hannah. Bless Murray and Ash as they go up to Toronto. Father, would you make a way for everything that they do? Lord, let it be like a red-hot knife through butter. And Lord, for Jonathan and Hendria, Father, thank you so much for the way they've served among us as well. Pastored, laid their lives down. Lord, we ask that as they step into this next thing that you've called them to do, serving in the family business, the Shunker family business, let your anointing rest upon both of these couples, Lord. Let your fire fill them in Jesus' name. And Lord, make Jonathan really prosperous and Hendria. Let them be used by you to bless so many people with amazing financial blessing and bless them too. And Lord, for this whole church family of Catch the Fire Raleigh that you love so much, a church that you founded, that you pastor, that you lead, that you've been building. Lord, we give you all the glory. We give you our lives. We put our little feet onto your feet. We put our little hands into your hands. Would you lead us on? Would you build your church and the gates of hell not prevail against us? Would you keep Satan far from us all? Would you keep Leviathan and Jezebel and Abaddon and all the nasty spirits, Lord, that would love to come in a time of transition, use our hearts and our mouths to do all kinds of skullduggery? I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would keep those spirits far from us as a community and that instead you would fill us all with the spirit of unity, the spirit of love, the spirit of... of of, of union and joy in the Holy Spirit, that we would love one another, Lord, that we would love you, that we'd minister to you first, that you'd be constantly wrecked in all of our meetings, that you give us hearts, Lord, to care for the poor, to care for the widows, to care for the orphans, to care, Lord, for this city, and to care for the nations of the reward, uh, the nations that you would receive your reward, Lord Jesus, that are your reward. And we promise with your help to always give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, bless everybody's lives. In your name I pray, amen.